Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. What is going on? podcast friends and family welcome back i hope that you are doing tremendous we have another awesome episode for you today we've got david warner matheson and i've entitled this one star myths of the world and how to interpret them so you might want to check this one out on youtube because david does share some slides and some screens Uh, he's the author of seven books and is a leading expert on ancient myths and connecting them with the stars so he goes really deep on a few of them he has just a ton of knowledge. Um, So we cover uh, what is the most common myth, the story of Samson, being open to new evidence, the Eleusian mysteries, or uh, I'm I'm not saying that right at all. I don't know if I should try again. The Eleusinian mysteries, maybe the story of Midas, the work of Alan Green, the myths of uh, as language and cycles, getting in touch with the invisible realm and ancient disciplines, why myths are metaphors for life, understanding the solstice and the sun cycles, coding a new language to help navigate a new reality, the wisdom of the Bhagavad Gita. So, you know, he relates these as metaphors for um, a higher perspective, all of these myths, and his work is really, really deep. So uh, he dives in. This is in two parts, and it's also on YouTube if you want to see the corresponding images. So it's a fantastic episode. I want to thank you guys that have been supporting me in multiple ways. The best and easiest way is to leave a review on iTunes. Um, you know, it's it's simple, it's quick, and it's super useful. So I uh, just want to thank uh, Lee Orion for leaving this one. And he just wrote, truly amazing. This podcast will open all three of your eyes to see and realize great eternal truths that we are all a part of. His conversation with Unity Grace was so profound and impactful for my spirit that I was driven to tears just listening to her voice pour out wisdom. And I felt a deep love that now stays with me. Thank you, Matt, for being a beacon of light in the darkness. The tide is turning. Light is building strength. And you are a leader in creating that frequency in our collective consciousness. So thank you so much, Lee. That's really uh, beautiful and I'm I'm grateful. Um, I'm just doing my best and and you know I'm I'm blessed to be having conversations. So Unity Grace will be uh, coming up. Uh, I've done two parts with her. I can't even remember actually if I've I've released it right now that I'm in the middle of just ranting here. So if you haven't heard it yet, it's going to be coming up and it is friggin' fantastic. Um, yeah, I think I have. And uh, we're actually doing a a, a part two. Um, also, those of you convinced me to do the Patreon, I appreciate that and people have been supporting. And uh, thank you so much if you want to support that way. Um, you know, I appreciate it. John Burroughs and Jay Trey, you guys are hooking it up. Thank you so much. Um, allows for the sandwich money and for me to continue to do this. You know, I've been pretty much doing it full time for two years. So um, lots of time and lots of effort and just appreciate you guys supporting me. Thank you so much. Um, you can also go to mattbelair.com forward slash store. Find out all my cool, amazing friends and the cool products over there, including Sync Tuition, which is three binaural beat 
gamma wave inducing treks, uh, really powerful stuff. And um, if you guys want to sign up for the email list over at mattbelair.com or go mattbelair.com forward slash lucid dreaming if uh, you want a freebie over there to teach you how to lucid dream. And just the last thing that I'll say is that, uh, you know, if you guys are out there and you guys are on social media, tag myself and my guest and just mention us, let us know where you're listening, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or whatever, just tag us and that kind of gets the word out too. So I'm going to just quit yammering, just love and appreciate you, support the show however you want. This is an amazing episode. It's part one uh, of two. And before we get into it, I'll just invite you to come into a state of quick and powerful coherence and self-love so let's focus on self-love and self-worth in this one so first just set the intention to come into a deep space of just allowing yourself to to feel deep love for yourself and deep self-worth so just stop set the intention your eyes can be open driving you could be walking down the street you could be at the gym it doesn't matter it's just your intention taking a deep breath in through your nose and just feel a beautiful and deep connection with spirit and life and nature and all things and just imagine powerful light from the universe coming down and pulsing through every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being and just let that breath out slowly take another deep breath in through your nose and just begin to feel love and appreciation and gratitude for yourself self-worth knowing that you are good enough you are whole you are perfect and harmonious just as you are and just letting out the breath and let with that breath just all the resistance all the fear and anxiety and reasons why you're not good enough just breathe them all out now now taking another deep breath in through your nose and again doubling that feeling of self-worth of self-love and realization that you are good enough that all beings on the planet just by being here are good enough and just let go all limitation all limiting blocks all past memory of feeling not good enough or not worthy just let it out. Just let it go now with your simple intention. And take in one more empowering breath in, full of self-love, of self-worth, of connection, knowing that if you as a child, that four-year-old, is worthy, looking at your neighbor, your friend, and, and knowing they're worthy, even though they may not be or have or, you know, anything in their life that they feel like they're coming short, that's just in the mind. That's not true. Just being here. They are worthy and they're whole, just as you are. So... Feel this empowering feeling. And now I want you to send that energy out to your friends, your family. To send them love and the feeling of gratitude, the feeling of wholeness, the feeling of self-love. Just ha send them a gentle reminder and say, hey, you're, you're whole and perfect just as you are. And just send that energy out to the entire planet. And now just imagine this energy comes back to you, magnified a million fold with all the sentient beings on earth. And just allow yourself to feel deep love and gratitude for yourself, wholeness, and balance as you go through this life experience. So there we go. We're all charged up, ready to go with part one with David Matheson. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Master Mind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest investigates the evidence that the world's ancient myths, scriptures, and sacred stories are speaking a language of celestial metaphor. He is the author of seven books exploring these connections, including the multi-volume series, Star Myths of the World and How to Interpret, Interpret Them, as well as Astrotheology, 
for Life and the Undying Stars. He is a graduate of the U.S. Military Academy at West Point and has a master's degree in literature from Texas A&M University. He has taught in the Department of English and Philosophy at West Point and has had a love for the starry sky and for the world's ancient myths since he was a young child. Welcome to the show, David Warner Matheson. What's up, brother? Thank you, Matt. It's really good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, it's it's good to have you here. I really, uh, I, I had you reach out, um, send me an email. You're like, hey, I think your audience <laughs> might be interested in some of my work. And so I said, all right, let me let me check, check that out. And then seven books and, and miss. And, and you have like a really unique take on it as well. And and it was very clear to see you have a deep, deep field of knowledge. Um, so I'm excited to explore deep, uh, you know, talk about, man, I don't even know where to start. But for those who don't know you, like, how did you, how did you get to where you are today? Like, give them a little bit of uh, background on, on some of your work and, and what you've been exploring. Sure. Thanks, Matt. Um, so I've been exploring the connection between the stars and the myths for a long time, more than eight years. Um, I actually majored in English literature. So I've been actually, I've loved the myths since I was really young. Um, and I got a chance to teach the Odyssey at the college level. Like you said, I taught at West Point. We got a chance to teach, got the opportunity to teach the Fagels translation of the Odyssey from the late professor Robert Fagels. I got a chance to, to meet him while I was there. Um, he's fantastic. That's my favorite translation. Um, but there's a lot of good translations of the Odyssey. But so I've always loved the myths, even since I was little. My parents um, got me the books on. Actually, I've got one right here. To show you. This is uh, this is the the best volume of Greek myths right here. So. Um, when I, ever since I was, you know, really, I've had this book since before I could remember. I can't remember not having it. And the Norse myths, these are by, I don't even know how to say their name right, Dialaires. I think my parents pronounce it like Dottelaire. But um, they wrote in the 60s and illustrated their own. They're just really beautiful illustrations. I was using it for a, I was using it for a video that I was making, so I just happened to have it nearby. So I grew up with these books, and also I grew up looking at the stars. So my dad used to take me out to look at the stars at night, um, just where we lived. And I also can't remember a time before I had the books of H.A. Ray. So H.A. Ray, you may be familiar with H.A. Ray. H.A. Ray wrote a famous children's series. He and his wife wrote and illustrated the Curious George books. So H.A. Ray wrote the Curious George books with his wife, Margaret Ray, and, and illustrated them. But he also, in 1952, published this volume called The Stars, A New Way to See Them. And he also wrote a, a children's version of that. So I remember having the children's version. And then not too long after that, we got kind of the main version, The Stars, A New Way to See Them. Both of those are just fantastic books. But he was frustrated, I think, as a creative illustrating type of guy. He was frustrated with the way, and also he obviously loved the stars based on you can see it coming through in this book. Um, he was frustrated with the way those constellations were depicted. Back in the 1800s and 1700s, they would have very flowery pictures that were very artistically beautiful and would show, okay, well, that's what this 
constellation is about, but you couldn't go out in the sky and see anything like that. So it wasn't very helpful. You'd look at the stars with that picture and you wouldn't have any way of really, you'd get frustrated. So he was frustrated with that. And then he said, but then we had this kind of modernistic, uh, the pendulum swung back the other way and it went so far the other way that they went to these kind of shapeless outlines, these geometric kind of connections of the stars that don't let you see at all what the, the mythological image is supposed to be. And that's equally unhelpful. And actually, if you go to Wikipedia or some of the apps on the iPhone, you'll still see outlines of the constellations that are not the H.A. Ray method. And you'll go, huh, I can see that I'm looking at it because I've got my app telling me. But when you look at it in the sky, you can't really remember that shape because it doesn't look like anything. Um, hmm. Actually, I've got an image of that somewhere uh, that I can share with your audience since I'm on the H.A. Ray. But just to wrap up how I got into this. So I've always uh, loved the stars. I've always loved the myths. I was a literature guy um, all the way through high school. English and literature was one of my favorite subjects. Um, got a chance to teach literature at West Point. And not until after that did I encounter this book called Hamlet's Mill, which talks about the theory or the thesis that all the world's myths seem to be sharing this common underlying system that has to do with things like number, but also it has to do with the cycles of the heavens. And that was just, when I read that, it was just fascinating to me um, because I was already into the stars and already into the myths. And this book, Hamlet's Mill that was published in 1969. I learned about it from some of the writings of Graham Hancock. He mentions it. It's been a really seminal book for a lot of people have written about it. So I read it and then I read it again. And I really want, I was like, I need to understand what is this system that they're talking about? Unfortunately, it's a kind of a frustrating book because it's really like these guys are seeing the shapes of a ruin under the jungle and they're saying there's something here it's clearly a system but they don't really grasp how it all fits together they're saying this is a language here's a few snippets of the grammar and vocabulary but they don't lay it out in any sort of systematic way because frankly i think because they didn't have the outlining system of h.a ray so h.a ray published that book in 1952 these two college professors wrote this book, Hamlet's Mill, in 1969, at the kind of towards the end, I think, of a long career. They had lots and lots of knowledge about myth, but I don't know that they actually ever knew the H.A. Ray system. So <laughs> being pretty familiar with the H.A. Ray system, I kept puzzling over it and puzzling over it, and I couldn't stop. It's like you, you, start, to, you start to see how the pieces fit together, and then you say, wait a minute, okay, if this, if, if this outline for what I think the ruin is, if this is correct, then if I go over to the jungle over here, I should maybe find a doorway. And then you start clearing away the vines and you find the outline of an ancient doorstep or something. You say, whoa, I think, you know, I'm on the right track. So I kind of became, I mean, a little bit obsessed with it. I, uh, you know, you think of those movies where people have the strings, you know, all in the, on their, uh, on their uh, bulletin board with all the 
threads connecting here, everything. So I was kind of like, like a that. Like a beautiful mind. You've got <laughs> <Exactly>. that little. <laughs> I wasn't, wasn't going to say it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I had to, I had to piece together the system more and more. And as the system starts to take shape, I'm not claiming that I have the whole structure figured out, but with the help of H.A. Ray's outlining system, the language of the myths becomes more clear. So I don't know if that explains how I got into it. It was really Hamlet's Mill and, and then um, going down that path. And actually, I'll just throw in one last piece of it. At that time, I was taking the Bible literally, which is, is not uncommon in Western civilization. That's the way you're taught that the Bible is speaking a literal language. I was very happy to see these connections in the myths because I loved Greek myth. Norse myths, the myths from other cultures, but I was a little hesitant whenever Hamlet's Mill would talk about, oh, and here's a Bible story that is also based on the stars. But the more I um, began to understand the system, the more I could see it operating in the books of the Bible. So it's absolutely operating from start to finish in the books of what we call the Old Testament and New Testament of the Bible. So I had to go through actually a pretty major change because the more I realized that they were talking in this celestial language, the more I realized these aren't really talking about historical, literal um, history. It's talking about actually, I think, spiritual matters and quantum physics matters and all kinds of, of other things. But I think they're speaking in a different language than a literal language. So so I was very familiar with the Bible when I started this as well. I mean, I was I was pretty serious into studying the Bible. Like on Sunday, I'd read nothing else but the Bible or commentaries on the Bible. Even when I was going to grad school, when you have quite a bit of other things to read and quite a bit of other homework on Sundays, I would put that all aside and just study the Bible. So um, that was all kind of background that helped when I started becoming obsessed with this connection between the stars and the myths. Um, all those kind of things in my past um, kind of contributed. So it's almost like I was being led towards this <laughs> before I even knew it. <laughs> so that's all I'll say about that. Wow. Wow, man, that's interesting. Yeah, thanks for sharing. You know, I've found that um, just exploring what I know, and and I'm really excited to have you on because I don't know very much about astrology. I know that it's a key piece of so much of what I've looked into. So ancient civilizations, everything kind of links to the stars, but I don't have a grasp of the stars. And it seems like in Sumeria and, uh, you know, all the sacred sites, and when you start decoding, um, whether it's the, the uh, king's list or the tablets or the uh, hieroglyphs or whatever, it's all linking to the stars. And so I'm excited that you're on to kind of shed some light on that. And it seems that a lot of the old texts, like the myths, it's, it's information that need to be encoded for a long period of time. You know, it's not like they can go one plus one. This thing has to last a long time. So for me, it kind of makes sense that we're starting to wake up to this, like the real message, the science behind it, the real understanding. And it looks like this isn't all just random stuff in the stars. It looks like people are actually decoding it 
and it's and it's applicable to everything. Um, so I guess the first question I'd ask, because there's you know seven books and and a, and a wealth of knowledge, um, what are some like common myths like in studying this? What is something that somebody new to this can be like one of like a common myth and 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 what you're starting to piece together as like this language? What are you starting to learn about your own reality and just reality on the planet? From my perspective, the story that we're told, as in you take the Bible literally and this is fact. That for me is a bit now old school where you can look at it from a different lens and you look at everything from a different lens. And if it gives you more awareness, more understanding, then you can kind of code some other understanding too about your own life and about your existence and maybe you know what's beyond this. So um, I think I might've asked you three vague questions in there, but I'll, I'll throw it back to you and, and see what those comes are... back. So you said a lot of you said a lot of really good things there. So I agree with you that all those ancient king lists and um, ancient history. I believe that the ancients um, inherited this system. We can talk about from where um, later on. I think your first question was really, hey, what are what is a myth that's a good entry point for someone who isn't familiar with with this? So let me. Um, come back to that in just a second and give you one. I'll start with the one that was really kind of my entryway, the one that really started to crack my paradigm open and make me have to reconsider things. And I've talked about it before, but it's the story of Samson. And since you're into, you know, strength and wealth, co uh, not wealth coaching, but um, fitness coach, you know, you're a, you're a uh, getting people stronger. We'll talk about Samson, who's this strong man, right? But, um, I just want to address one other thing that you said, which was about taking these stories literally as kind of old school. I would say that in a in one sense you're right, but in another sense, that's new school. If you think about, I am pretty convinced that the ancients thought about these things in the esoteric way or in the in the way that I that I'm talking about. And I think at some point that old way was deliberately supplanted or maybe, um, you know, we could, <laughs> it's all debatable because I wasn't there, but yeah, it might be, I... it might be that taking it literally is the new way that was kind of a system of mind control. And the old way was a system of enlightenment. When you had things like the Eleusinian mysteries, if you, Heard of those? We've been to no, I haven't. I haven't. Yeah, man. Yeah, um, <laughs> we're gonna please so go. That's a, so that's <laughs> so in much. ancient Greece. The the Eleusinian mysteries. So there were these mysteria, these um, these mystery schools, and they were top secret as to what you saw, but they were open to all. At least the Eleusinian mysteries were open to all. They were in Eleusis. Yeah, I may be saying it incorrectly someone from greece may be laughing at the screen right now saying why is he saying it like that it's not far from athens so they would actually start people would come from all over the ancient world and they went on for centuries and every, every year people would come to these mysteries and there were different mysteria in each they had different names they were called mysteria they were they were called a few other things but the mysteries of Eleusis were the most famous ones and they were near Athens and they were open to everybody, whether you were male, man or woman, Greek or non-Greek, 
slave, rich person, whatever, everyone could come to the mysteries at Eleusis and you were never allowed to talk about what you saw there, but you could go participate in the, in the Mysteria. And everybody who did write about it, they wouldn't say what they saw, but they would talk about how it was life-changing. It changed their perspective in some way. And there's been a lot of speculation as to what was it that they saw. Some people think they were taking mushrooms. There's some arguments about, well, you know, it seems to be, I've talked about that in my book, The Undying Stars. I talk a little bit about that, but nobody knows for sure. I certainly don't know for sure, but it was something you had to experience that changed your perspective and it was open to everybody. That's what I'm talking about. The, mis the mysteries were shut down deliberately at the same time that the rise of taking the Bible literally was going on. So there was a, um, there's some historical reasons, I believe, to conclude that there was a change in the way things used to be perceived and then what took over. Um, I still, I'm not talking bad about the Bible. I think the Bible is sacred, beautiful, profound, but I do believe that taking it literally, why do people take it literally? Because they're finding beautiful truths in there that, that help them with their lives. I think that's because those truths are in there. But I think that the taking it literally part can lead to some problems like, well, my way is right, your way is wrong. Now I have to go correct all those people over in such and such continent who are wrong. So, um, Mm -hmm. It does get into it does, it does get into that. Um, I've strayed off of going to a, a an entry point myth for you, but anyway, I, I just wanted to say uh, I think that for people who do take it literally, if you want to turn off the you know turn off the screen now before I start showing you connections to the Bible uh, to the stars because it might you know be paradigm uh, it might cause some deep questions. But I really believe that the all the beautiful true things that you're finding there already are still there when you understand that they're speaking a celestial language. I just, I think actually some of the bad aspects go away because it's taking it literally turns it external. It's about these, you know, do you believe in this the way I believe it? No. Okay. Well, let's have a war mm -hmm. that, when it's externalized, but actually yeah. I believe that all the myths, are about each and every single man and woman on the planet. That's, you're the star of the myths. So when I talk about Samson, it's not really about some super strong guy 3,000 years ago. Because if it was, how's that gonna help you be strong? Like, well, he was strong, great for him. Wish I had, it's actually about you. It's actually, the story's actually about you. It's not about an external person. So <laughs> I said a yeah. lot without answering your question. No, that's good. That's good because I, I'm so glad I, I shut up because I was going to chime in and, and then you ended it beautifully with it. It's about you. And, and that really clarifies the interpretation where it's your, it, it can only be your perspective of you reading the Bible, you reading a book, you reading a recipe, you in in traffic and getting cut off it's all you and it and it's a it's a story that's coming in and you know rather than saying um you know taking it literally 
or taking it as a story, I think it's more accurate to say um, your your interpretation of what how you can interpret that, and some of it may be for your view, like oh, this is a literal thing, but but because of your perspective, perspective and your awareness and your knowledge, you're able to kind of decipher and weed through kind of like what you were talking about is going into a jungle and being able to see ruins and you're now separating, oh, these are trees and forest and this is an edge of the ruin and that's expanding your awareness. So I think kind of that was, you know, uh, for me, I, it, my, my resistance was people who take the Bible literally and then they go off the rails. But then there's the scientific side where people are like, no, like this thing here is a code, kind of like what you're saying. So it's uh it's both and and it's the perception around it you know and, and expanding your awareness and i'll just say to so you can speak freely um well and you can speak freely whenever you want <laughs> not that you don't need my permission for that um what i've been offering to people in in a religious religious sense a spiritual sense uh you know in any sense it's i call it like uh, i'm going to do a video on this on like the flat earth and just talk about <laughs> the formula for truth and so it doesn't matter if the earth is flat. It's going to be like uh, why the earth is flat and why it doesn't matter. Um, and I don't even know if it's flat. It could be round. I, I can't know. And that's part of the video is like if you get – you don't know. If you were flown up on a spaceship and you looked and you could confirm yourself, then maybe you know. But how many people have been in that and looked because it's all secondary information? Right, and so you could believe somebody, and there could be books and books and books and stories, and even your dad told you. But if you didn't go, you can't really know a hundred percent for sure, really. And again, it doesn't matter because you got, let's say, take the Bible literally, um, don't take it literally. But when you close off to the other side, let's say forty-five degrees in the middle, zero on one and ninety on the other, then you shut off ninety degrees of information or forty-five degrees of information. When you could just listen openly, not say you believe it or not believe it, but just hear them out and say, oh, that's really interesting. You know, I didn't I didn't resonate with all of what you said about the Bible or about this religion or about this going to war, being in the army. You know, that's one of my things is like, you know, I don't think we should be, you know, going and shooting anybody. But you're in the military and that could be a contrast and, and that's OK, too. It's not up for me to decide, but I can listen. Oh, this is why we did it. Oh, interesting. That's fascinating. I don't agree with all of that, but I like this nugget here. That's such a beautiful piece of information now that I have rather than shutting it down, you know, not saying I'm right. And this is the only way this is just information for you to have. So that's my, that's my rant back for you, yeah. but that's kind of how I've been seeing it because we yeah. have such a diverse planet, such a diverse it's so diverse. It's it's wild and beautiful and exciting. <laughs> no, that's great. And actually, that's a really important subject that I do write about a lot. I should mention, I've, you know, as you know, I've got a blog that now has over a thousand posts. So when you have over a thousand posts, you probably ranged into all kinds of different things. But I think that question that you're talking about, the question of analysis or the question of knowing how we know something and also the not shutting off um, not shutting off other people's arguments or listening to their uh, being open to new evidence is super important subject. Um, so now we'll spend the rest of our time talking about why your flat earth theory is so very wrong. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, but I actually, looked at it enough. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we are recording on the winter solstice. So I do believe that there are some ways that you, without going to outer space, 
can understand that the world is I happen to be a you know spherical earth believer <laughs> I don't want to go I don't want to go to I don't want to get uh, you know too far but I but I listened to the other side's arguments I think what you said is super important I was reading on Twitter one day maybe a year or two ago and somebody that I know posted a tweet that said you cannot even question if anyone questions the official story of 9-11 they are just you know a bad person unpatriotic should be made to shut up and i think that's a that really typifies what you're talking about of are you telling me that you can't even listen to any of the evidence and that if i even consider any of the evidence there's something wrong with me i'm i'm a bad person if i even listen to that evidence because by the way there's an awful lot of evidence that um seems to be uh you know questionable so setting that aside whatever you believe about whatever <laughs> item of American history, such as 9-11, or I should say U.S. history, 9-11, Kennedy assassination, you, you're, you're not wise to say, I will not even listen to the other side, and anybody who says they have some arguments for me, I refuse to listen to that. That's like, um, that's like the people who said when Alfred Wegener was proposing the continental drift in 1912, I believe it was, it might've been 1906, 1906 or 1912, all the scientists of his day scoffed at him and said, there's no way the continents could drift. There's all that sea floor in, beneath, in between them. They couldn't possibly move. And he was ridiculed and he was basically drummed out of, you know, any polite circles of geo uh, geologists. And now, 100 years later, 105 years later, it's quite accepted. Um, so I think what you're talking about is really an important topic. Um, but I will just, I can't let the flat earth, um, I can't let you say that you can only uh, accept it on faith if you haven't gone up in the sky. Because, for instance, we're having a winter solstice here in the northern hemisphere. You're further north than I am. But we're both, it's dark outside at 5 p.m. and if, even at 4.30 p.m. where I am and probably even a little earlier where you are. It's winter solstice. But I have a good buddy in Melbourne, Australia, and it's summer solstice for him. And I really don't know how you could possibly, uh, I'm sure some people can ex explain that with a complex model of how it's winter there <laughs> while it's summer here. But... I have actually been to New Zealand and been to Australia, and the constellations that I see here, right side up, right side up, right side up for me, are upside down, down there. Why is that? Because I think we're on a ball, and I'm looking out at a constellation that's basically on the wall. It's not really on the wall, it's scattered out in space at various depths. but. I'm on the top half of the ball, and when I see, you know, the poster of Jimi Hendrix on the wall, if I go to the bottom of the ball, and I'm still standing there, and now Jimi Hendrix is upside down, that's explained very well by a sphere. So there, so I actually wrote a blog post with 12 ways you can know for yourself without going up into outer space. <laughs>
Uh, yeah, I, that's that funny. I, I posed that question. You literally wrote the blog. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely check it out. Well, what it reminds for people me who of... are for people who are, you know, interested in that debate. I really don't want to, you know, go too yeah, far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to get in there either. It's, it's um, so contentious. Yeah, but what it reminded me of uh, Nassim Haramein coming to Sedona, and uh, he just he gets up there and he starts talking, and like within one minute, and he just goes, and I'm not going to get into this. But the earth is not flat. I'm not getting into it. <laughs> so he's always into it. But it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. The, the point is, it's just knowledge, right? It's just like, you know what you know from your own experience. Everything else is going to be information that you can use your memory, your past experiences, your inner knowing to figure out and make your best educated guess. You know, and even that, I could read your article and check it out, and that could mean something as long as my brain can come to that own conclusion. And then still, even then, things seem to shift and it can get tricky. So let's never mind that and get into your Samson because I, I'm really curious about that story and some of the other myths that you're going to get into. Right on. So, yeah, but I think the thing that you said is so correct that if, if I were to say you can never – anyone who listens to flat earth stuff, I just won't associate with you. I mean how wrong would that be? It's like saying you cannot consider 9-11 or you're a bad person. If you, if you consider anything outside of the mainstream on that, there's something wrong with you. Well, if you're telling me that, then I'm super curious to know why you're telling me I better not check it out, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what? It can't stand up to investigation? Is that why I shouldn't look at the other side? Okay, so mm -hmm. let's, get, let's get into sharing the screen. Um, but I'll be conscious yeah. of your listeners who are uh, just listening, not watching on YouTube. But for those who... Um, are able to see it, I'll, I'll share this, uh, because this is the story that really cracked it open for me, for, um, it really led me down the road a lot. And in the Samson story, and Hamlet's Mill, like I said, they don't, unfortunately, they don't unpack myths in a systematic way. They kind of do it haphazardly, and then what they'll do is they'll talk about a myth and they'll say, and the reader can, certainly see that this is based on the stars and you'll be like what <laughs> hold on <laughs> i don't <laughs> i don't see it and then they'll move on to something else and that's what's frustrating about that book but they do in the samson story say look samson uh actually they talk about <laughs> jumping ahead while you're they talk about samson well. chooses this weapon to slay his enemies with and do you know what the weapon is that he chooses? I think I'm looking at some sort of blade. Yeah, it looks like a blade, but actually on the, I don't know if you can see my little cursor here. You see these little things right here? Those are teeth. This is a jawbone. <laughs> so hmm. this, this is just a statue, obviously. It's, it's not that the text doesn't come with pictures, but the biblical text itself says that Samson reached out his hand and took the jawbone of an ass, the jawbone of a donkey, and uh, and slew a thousand of his enemies with it. So it's a pretty violent graphic uh, statue, I think from the 1500s. And the uh, authors of Hamlet's Mill say, Sunday school students must long have puzzled over his choice of weapon. And then they say, but that weapon is actually, it's not literal. So if you think about it, I mean, you're an MMA fighter. You could probably club someone with a jawbone, right? But if you were fighting 
a thousand people who had swords and shields, you might in a in a jam, if the closest thing is a jawbone lying on the ground, you see this jawbone, you might pick it up and use that. But would you use that for a thousand people? Or would after you had finished off a couple of your enemies, might you take one of their swords and use that? I mean, I'm not even sure a jawbone would hold up. I don't know, it's horrible to contemplate, sorry. But what they said is, don't worry about, it seems so violent, it seems a little bit, they say actually that the story of Samson is this grand tissue of absurdities. That's how they describe it. They say it's so over the top. He does so many things, like he ties all these foxes together by their tails in one night and lights a torch in between each of the foxes and he sends them out into the fields to burn up his enemy's fields. And they say, really, that's quite a bit of work for one night. 300 foxes? How do you catch 300 foxes and tie them together? And So they say it's a grand tissue of absurdities. Of course, when I was reading that for the first time, I was taking the Bible literally. I was like, I don't really like them talking about that. But then they say, that jawbone is in the, the heavens. So here's another view of the same same uh, statue. This is the constellation Orion. And they say in Hamlet's Mill, they say, I think that the jawbone that he reaches out to seize, that he reaches out to grasp, he reaches out his hand, is this V-shaped Hyades right here. And that's in Taurus. So this is the constellation Orion, who's rising right now. He's up in the in the heavens. Are you familiar with Orion, Matt? Uh, well, a little bit. I know that it exists. <laughs> I would say minimal. <laughs> okay. Okay. So he's. Um, if people aren't familiar with the stars, one of the constellations that they usually are familiar with is Orion, just because he's got this really distinctive belt of three stars, and he's also got the brightest highest percentage of bright stars to the constellation, to the total stars count of any constellation. So these stars are depicted, they're larger if they're actually brighter in the sky. So this is Rigel, the, the star Rigel. This is the star Betelgeuse. Those are big stars, the bright stars. And then his three stars in his belt are also very bright. And so the, the authors of Hamlet's Mill argue that Samson, when he reached out his hand, took the jawbone of a donkey, the, the King James Version says, the jawbone of an ass, that's these, the, the stars of the Hyades are very distinctive and you can see them tonight. If you look, if you just go out from these belt stars and look up along the line of the belt stars up here in the Northern Hemisphere, this is the direction that Orion is rising. He's rising from this, I'm looking towards the south in this image. He's rising from the east and moving towards the west, just like the sun does. That V shape is up from the three stars. And then these two horns of Taurus are out at a pretty good distance from that V. So do you know who Taurus is? I mean, you said you don't know that much about astrology, but who do you think, what do you think Taurus is just by the name Taurus? Do you know? Take like a, while, a ram guess. or something? Good guess. Like in, uh, have you ever heard of like bullfighting uh, where they say Toro, Toro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Toro is the Spanish word for a bull. Taurus ah. is the Latin word for a bull. So Taurus is yes. a bull. Makes but you're sense. right. It's a horned animal. 
And these long horns, you see how these, from the V, for, for people who are listening, I'm just showing that above the V of the Hyades, at a pretty long distance out, are two more stars that you can envision as the horns of the bull, okay? But the text says, they don't go into this in Hamlet's Mill, they just say that V is the Hyades. And that does make sense, because if you feel underneath your jawline, you've got a V, right, for your lower jaw, it's a, you know, your mandible is a V. So that V in the heavens, the ancients saw that as a jawbone, according to the authors of Hamlet's Mill, but they don't really explain why the jawbone of Taurus, the bull, would be encrypted or encoded in the Bible as a jawbone of an ass. Well, the, the answer is that those long horns could also be envisioned as long what? For a donkey. Uh, a donkey have like, what are you talking about, like feet or something? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't know. Like ears. I'm with you. There you go. So long ears. So long ears. So so in the Samson story, that jawbone is not playing the jawbone of a bull. It's playing the jawbone of a donkey. And there's actually other myths where we can kind of confirm. That's my allegation. The, the authors of Hamlet's Mill don't say that. But I've discovered that in other myths from around the world, the constellation Taurus that I'm showing here with that V-shaped and the long horns sometimes plays the role of a donkey. For instance, mm. I don't know if you've ever heard of King Midas. You know King yep. Midas? Yeah. What was what was what's the Midas touch? What was Midas's story about? Do you know? Yeah, it turns everything to gold. Now I'm with you. I just pieced together the last piece too. I was like, hold on. It was like, boom, got it now. Yep, with you. What? Which piece? Oh, just um, so with the with the Taurus having the ears of the ass. So when you hear that, when when you're reading story from different places and they're using that as a term, now you can associate it with that star system. Maybe right. So that's a clue. Maybe. So so right, one of yeah. the one of the distinctive features of Taurus is that it's got these long horns or it's got could be long ears. So Midas right. was given the god Dionysus in most versions of the story says to Midas, hey, ask for anything. What do you want? And Midas says, he's already very wealthy. He's a king. He says, I want to touch. I want, I want more gold. In fact, I'd like it if everything I touch turns to gold. So I can watch over, walk over to my kitchen, turn the chair to gold, right? Or to Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> so he's turning, he's walking around, turning things to gold. And then he tries to take a sip of wine and it turns to gold in his mouth. And he's like, whoa, I almost choked. That wine almost turned to gold and choked me. He tries to take a bite of a piece of meat and it turns to gold and he almost breaks his teeth. And he realizes he's in bad trouble because he can't eat anything. Everything he touches turns to gold. So at first he was overjoyed. It turns out Midas is a really foolish figure, right? He's, he made a really bad choice. And... Um, in another story, another version of the Midas myth, he judges a contest of music playing between Apollo, who is the god of music, among other things, and a satyr or a, a you know a goat-legged, uh, you know, a guy with the body of a, a torso of a man and the legs of a goat. And Midas awards the prize to the satyr. 
instead of to Apollo, the god of music, right? Bad exhibition of bad judgment. He didn't judge the music contest correctly. So Apollo said, you are really hard of hearing, Midas. You are really got bad judgment. And I want to show the world that you have, you have a terrible ear for music. So I'm going to give you the ears of a donkey. So Midas has to run around with the ears of an ass, which he later covers with a big tall hat to, to you know, he, he wears this, a special type of hat. Well, you can line that hat up with another constellation that's on the other side of Taurus, that's just above. That's why Midas was given the ears of an ass. Actually, in the Midas story, he has to go, in order to turn things back and undo the curse of being able to turn everything to gold. In one version of the story, he accidentally turns his daughter to gold. She runs up to give him a hug. And he's like, no, 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 no. And she gives him a hug and she turns to a golden statue. So then he goes to Dionysus or he goes to the gods and says, help, I've made a bad choice. Will you please have mercy on me? And they say, sure, you need to go wash in this particular river. And in some versions, dunk your head in the river. I don't have it on this particular star chart that I'm showing you, but the constellation Perseus is just above Hyades. Uh, the Hyades and Taurus, and he's actually dunking his head in the Milky Way, the river of the Milky Way, the stars of the Milky Way. I should actually stop sharing, then you can see all my hand gestures that I'm trying to do. So anyway, you can confirm, or at least I argue, that the story of Midas lines him up with that constellation. And in fact, Perseus is right next to Andromeda, the constellation Andromeda, in fact, she's reaching out to touch him. It's almost like he's reaching out to her. She's reaching out to him. That's the part of the story where Midas turns his daughter to gold. The daughter is played in that myth by Andromeda. Then he has to go undo his bad judgment. And he puts his head in this river, this specific river. Well, the constellation Perseus has his head in the Milky Way galaxy. So... It's pretty clear that Midas is Perseus. And so I would argue that is additional evidence that the ears of Taurus or the horns of Taurus sometimes play the role of the ears of a donkey because Midas got the ears of a donkey. He's right next to the same constellation here. So all that to say, the authors of Hamlet's Mill argue that the V-shaped jawbone of Taurus is the jawbone that Samson grabs. And that makes sense because Taurus can also play a donkey. And I can show you that he plays a donkey in other myths, including in other places in the Bible. There's a story of another figure in the Old Testament book of Judges, which is the same book that Samson is in, a guy named Balaam who's riding on a donkey. And, and the donkey sees an angel and won't go any further. That's the same, that lines up with Taurus and Perseus as well as I, I talk about it. So anyway, I didn't see those connections until much later. But when the authors of Hamlet's Mill talked about Orion reaching out to take the jawbone, that really resonated because it made sense that that was the Samson, that that explained why he used the jawbone. And they also point out that there's other figures around the world, including in Aotearoa, New Zealand, 
Maui uses a jawbone at one point um, as a weapon. So they point out that around the world there are figures who use a jawbone as a weapon. Um, and they say it's because around the world the myths all seem to be using this same system. So from there, let me go back to where I was starting. I, knowing the Bible really well, I can't remember if this is in Hamlet's Mill or not, or if maybe I saw it somewhere else, but Samson also goes down to see a young woman, and along the way he runs into a lion, and he slays the lion with his bare hands. And I've got an image from the 1300s, actually. That figure with really long hair is actually Samson. He slays a lion with his bare hands, and um, his parents are there because he told his parents, hey, there's this woman who pleases me well, um, I want her to be my wife. And they're like, um, wait, she's from the Philistines and you're uh, being oppressed by the Philistines. Why do you want to date a girl from the Philistines or marry a girl from the Philistines? So they're not approving of Samson's, as you can see from their body positions. But then he comes back a year later and he finds the same carcass of the lion. He turns aside to see the lion and he finds a swarm of bees inside the carcass and he takes some of the honey and he eats it and he also gives some to his parents. So I realized that, I can't remember if I read this from someone else or if I just realized it on my own, but the constellations in the Zodiac, he's going down to meet a woman, but on the way he encounters a lion. It just so happens that in the, the order of the sun's travel through the zodiac signs. I'm showing it on the screen here, but this is Virgo. This is Leo. The sun passes through Leo the lion on its way down to Virgo, the virgin, that is the maiden, the young woman. So he's going down to see a young woman and he encounters a lion. It's in just the right order for the constellations. And then he comes back later on and he finds honey and it just so happens that so i'll show you just with this this pointer he comes back a year later the constellation right before leo is cancer the crab i'm showing it on the screen for people to see it on youtube you can see that cancer the crab is right in front of here's the mouth of leo the lion can you see that okay on your yeah. screen yeah it looks good yeah, so right inside the head of Cancer the Crab is this beautiful cluster of stars. You can see it on a clear night if you get away from the city lights. You can even see it now if you go out late enough in the night and you know where to look. And the best way to look is to look in front of the mouth of the lion. You can see this cluster, and it happens to be known as the Beehive Cluster. So that cluster of stars is the beehive cluster, Samson comes back to the lion later on that he met on the way down to a woman, by the way. Leo is in front of Virgo. Then he comes back and gets some, he finds a swarm of bees in the lion, in the carcass. He takes the honey and then he makes this riddle out of the mouth of the eater. He says, out of the eater, came something to eat out of the mouth of the you know the beast came something sweet i'm not saying it exactly right but it's in uh it's in the book of judges i think chapter 14 
anyway, I realized, you know, this is clearly, is, you might say it's a coincidence if you say, well, he was on the way down to meet a woman and he encountered a lion. That could just be a coincidence, but you come back and then you find honey <laughs> and right in front of the lion is another constellation, Cancer the Crab, that has the beehive cluster in the Bible actually says a swarm of bees and honey. There's a swarm of bees in the constellation Cancer the Crab. So that is one example of how a story, and there's actually much more in Samson that lines up with other constellations. And I talk about that in one of my books, Star Myths of the World, Volume 3, which is all about star myths of the Bible. But that was one of the first ones that really made me say, okay, I at least need to consider, we were talking about considering other arguments. I was not really open to the argument that Samson was a mythical figure based on the stars. I was open to the interpretation that Samson was miraculously given strength, which I can accept that, right? If there's, if there's an all-powerful, almighty, could the all-powerful, almighty give Samson superhuman strength? I think so. So I could accept that. I wasn't super open to the idea that Samson was a constellation or was envisioning the cycles of the heavens, but I had to <laughs> look at the evidence. And then I saw another one from the book of Revelation that we won't get into right now, but pretty soon I started to like you pull on that thread, if you pull it too far, you may find something that you didn't expect to find. Or it's like uh, Gandalf says about the, the dwarves in Moria. If you delve too deep, you might wake up some things that you didn't expect to wake up. So I delved really deep and it changed my whole perspective. Anyway, now we got 10 minutes left and I only showed you one myth, but... <laughs> no, no, we can. Well, we can. There's no, there's no, there's definitely no time zone unless you got, you've got places to be. So that's interesting because it was a very, you know, I was able to watch the screen. So for those of you who who are hearing this, you know, you can check out the video that'll be on YouTube. Um, you know, you're watching it, and for me, it's like okay, paying attention, and then you know, losing you a bit, and then boom, okay, that makes sense. So to kind of recap where I'm at with it. You, you're finding these stories and myths, and they're all linking to the stars, and you're finding the constellations, and you're piecing things together. So I guess the, it naturally leads to, as you keep piecing these things together, what's the scale up? Like, what is, what is the meaning of these myths? What, do you, what is the purpose of, of knowing that it's the stars and just these myths? Like, what information have you come back that, have, that has either you know, changed how you view reality or um, expanded your awareness or just, um, or have you like looking at other rabbit holes and questioning different things? Like we talked a little bit about Shakespeare, which I only realized was that was a rabbit hole in itself. I didn't know that was a rabbit hole. And so, um, apparently it is. So, you know, for, for when you're piecing all these, when you find that the myths are for astrology, what, what are you concluding from that? Are you coming up with any theories or, or, uh, thoughts on existence and how the world is actually working or how is how is that how is that changing how you perceive the planet and yourself i guess if it's ultimately you <laughs> i'm glad you asked that question so 
Um, I believe that the myths are talking about things like getting in touch with your higher self, all those things that you're talking about, you know, um, in some of your other interviews that I've heard you do, I believe they are guides to help us with those types of things. So um, you bring up Shakespeare, you know, and you mentioned before we were talking, I said, oh, have you heard of Alan, Gr Alan Green? And you said, yeah, that's who was saying all these amazing things about Shakespeare. And um, I've met Alan Green a couple of times. I was presenting in uh, this conference on, it's called the Conference on Procession and Ancient Knowledge. And Alan Green's um, close to, uh, I believe, the people who put that on. I mean, he, he knows those guys personally, but he also has something amazing to present. He was there at that conference that I was presenting at, and I was just in awe of A, what he was talking about, and B, his presentation skills. I mean, he, what he was talking about was so amazing. It blew everyone's mind. He got a standing ovation, like it was spontaneous standing ovation. Not only does he have something amazing to present, but he knows how to make you understand it. It was such an amazing presentation, and I'm, I met him again. I was at a, uh, I was at the, uh, what is it, Contact in the Desert, Contact in the Desert down in uh, Joshua Tree. Was that this year? I was there. Yeah, this year you oh, were? Oh, shoot. Right yeah, on. yeah, I was there, yeah. Yeah, so I was there, and, and I, was, I saw someone wandering around. I said, wait, Alan, and he turns around, and he goes, Dave, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, um, so I, I met him again down there and got a chance to talk to him, but, um, and I've heard him a few times since then, like on Grimerica, I noticed that you were on Grimerica. A few weeks ago or, or just recently I heard him on Grimerica but anyway he's talking about how Shakespeare even the cover of the sonnets is a code to point yeah. to these amazing incredible things that just blow your mind well I believe that what I just told you about Samson fits into this worldwide language or if you want code that all these myths are speaking they're not just doing it to I believe they're not just doing it to encode the heavens or say oh isn't it neat leo comes after cancer and virgo comes after leo in the sun's progress i believe that those constellations have a symbolic meaning so let me go back to sharing my screen for those who are able to watch it on youtube i'll go back to that same presentation that i was in so that's the beehive cluster i've just zoomed in a little further there's the beehive cancer is a super faint constellation. But I believe that what the myths are doing is using these cycles. And they're using these cycles to talk about things on many layers at the same time, to include things like quantum physics or wavelengths, right? Because what are cycles? Doesn't a wave have cycles? Like we could talk about a wave based on the length of its from peak to trough, Right? You were talking about surfing, you might move to Hawaii, you never know. Um, you could talk about the, the physical characteristics of the wave. Well, that thing is 15 feet high and there's 100 feet to the next wave. So its wavelength is 100 feet. But you could also talk about it in terms of time, its frequency. Well, one wave goes past every two seconds. Or if it's a microwave, we might have 500 or 5,000 of them going past in a second, 
I don't know, you know, 500 hertz or 5,000 hertz or 500 kilohertz. So time and waves, these things are talking about heavenly cycles. We can get into connections to quantum physics later on if you want. Um, but I believe it's also talking about things like getting in touch with your higher self. So as the earth moves around the sun, we're at the solstice. That's a particular, the, the, the seasons make a cycle. The sun gets lower in the sky for us in the Northern hemisphere as we get towards winter. And today is the shortest day. The sun is making its shortest, lowest track across the sky for us, making its highest arc across the sky for people in the Southern hemisphere. But it's the lowest in the sky for us. So the, the sun goes back and forth in these waves and they encoded, whoever put the system together, encoded, I believe, certain spiritual things. When the sun is low in the sky, it means one thing. When the sun is high in the sky, it means another thing. It's kind of like you said you went to the Shaolin Temple, and they write in a different kind of, a whole different system in China. So I've got this beautiful calligraphy. This is from like the 300s AD, from the 4th century AD. Look at that beautiful calligraphy. But each one of those symbols means a whole word. Well, the same thing, I believe that in the constellations, each constellation means a whole bunch of things or is associated in this system with a whole bunch of things. So we already went through that. So I'm just skipping through that. So I'm going to show you kind of how it works. Here's Samson getting his famous haircut, right? I see that you have a full beard, right? I commend you for your full beard. That's awesome. <laughs> Samson, Samson was a special person in that a razor never touched his head from the day he was born, right? It's like in the musical hair, you know, the musical hair, mm -hmm. he let it grow until it stops by itself. That's how long, how long should your hair be until it stops by itself. That's actually Dionysian. So Dionysus let his hair grow until it stops by itself. Actually, there's connections between like the Rastafari and Dionysus, there's actual connections that I write about in a blog post I think is fascinating. But anyway, this is Samson getting his famous haircut. That's when he lost all his strength. I'm showing you this to answer your question, but I'll just show it really quickly. This is a painting from, I don't know what year, I didn't put a, I think it's the early 1800s. I'm going to reverse it so it matches up with the stars a little bit more. Do you know who cut Samson's hair? I do not. Delilah. So sometimes people will say, oh, she's a Delilah figure because she makes you weak. <laughs> like mm. Delilah cut off his hair. She finally got Samson to let her give him a haircut. And after that, he lost all his strength. But then the Bible says it started to grow back again. Well, I'm showing this because it lines up with a certain part of the sky. And if you, um, it's really interesting if you look at artwork down through the centuries, they're putting in actually celestial things into this painting. I don't know why. I don't know how they knew this system. But if you look, you'll see behind the woman who's coming in with some scissors. She's got her scissors outstretched. What do you see here? I don't know what I'm looking at. Okay, it's a quiver of arrows. Oh. A quiver of arrows. You see that? Kind yeah. of here's the feathers or the fletching on the arrows. And then right next to them, there's this big 
What's that? Like vase? Yeah, a big jug or jar with two handles. So if you were really into astrology, you said, I'm not into astrology. I'm not really an expert on astrology. Astrology is this whole science. I'm not an expert on astrology. I'm seeing the connection between the myths and the stars. Astrology means how does it impact our life? Mm. I do believe that the position of planets has impacts on the earth. And we can talk about that. It has to do with cycles. In the 50s, there was this a study published by an engineer at RCA, which is a, you know, a radio broadcasting company, showing how the positions of the planets impacted the shortwave radio signals that they were trying to send across the North Atlantic, like from mm. Newfoundland to England. Well, we seem to have bad connections whenever Jupiter or Mars is lined up in this particular configuration. Why is that? Well, someone from astrology would say, well, that's because you've got opposition here and you've got this and that's kind of bad. That's a negative configuration. But why would it impact radio signals unless there's actually something to it? Right. These things are actually talking about. I think these things are talking about the invisible realm, the the realm of pure. If you, we could talk about it in terms of the spirit realm, if you want. If you're. If you're uncomfortable with the spirit realm, I could say, well, does quantum physics talk about the realm of pure potentiality? Like before that waveform collapses into either a particle or a wave or before Schrodinger's cat, right? The particles in it's kind of in both boxes until we peek inside and then it's in one box or the other. Well, before we peek inside, it's in the realm of pure potential. When we peek inside, it collapses into one place or another. So it comes out of the realm of spirit, if you will, or the realm of the gods where everything is possible into the realm of manifestation, okay? So I think that these myths are talking about the realm of the gods, which is pure potential, and how that impacts us here in this realm. We're not in the realm of pure potential most of the time. We're in the realm of manifestation, right? I'm going to go back. I'm going to stop sharing so I can actually. Yeah, in the realm of matter. Does this, so I'm curious, because uh, I'm with you and you can use spirituality. I think most people would be fine with that. <laughs> and and uh, if not, then, you know, whatever. You could use quantum physics if you want. I'm curious, you know, of these lessons as you're decoding, do you see as this a language that we're going to understand as a species to open up uh, an understanding in quantum physics, in our understanding with our relationships to the stars or spirit? And have you have you gone through any of these myths that, you know, it's like, oh, this is the lesson, you know, do this and you have access to the spirit world, you know, I don't know, like meditate more. Or if you go, if you do, <laughs> if you work out, your body will be healthy. I don't know. Does it, does it, does it, did it give you any understandings or lessons that you've decoded for yourself? And, you know, I guess I'll start with that. And then do you see if we can kind of unpiece this language, what the potential of understanding it is? Because like, where does this language come from? If they're, if they're, um, you know, in the Bible and in all the ancient myths and it's linking to the stars, what the heck is the point of that? What are, what are they trying to teach us? What do you think? Yes. <laughs> yes and yes. So that was a great, excellent two-part question. So yes, I have been able to decode at least what I believe is one layer of what's going on. I think the myths are speaking on many different layers at once, probably so deep that the layers are bottomless. You can keep diving into them. 
but I, that's what I am, why am I writing about it? To try and help people to be able to decode them for themselves and get at the lessons, not the lessons that I say they are, but to go to the myths for yourself. The more you understand the language, the more you can say, oh, I'm going to go, you know, I'm from the uh, New Zealand and I know of this story that my grandmother used to tell me that Dave doesn't even know about, but I'd like to find out what it might mean. But now once you start to understand how to write Chinese characters, you can find a new piece of text that was written in Chinese characters. If you read Chinese, you're fine. You'll say, oh, I always wondered what that said. Now that I've started to learn how to speak Chinese and read the characters, I can read it for myself. So once I know that, well, this part of the cycle typically talks about, well, this constellation typically lines up with these sorts of things. Well, in this story that I'm reading, there's a jawbone. Well, that probably lines up with Orion or Taurus. Well, what does that mean in the in the code? So what I was driving towards before I got off on the quantum physics with that picture of Samson getting his hair cut is I was going to show you that code. And then I got a little uh, sidetracked by talking about quantum physics because I believe it's talking about all these things at once. I believe it's talking about the invisible realm. You are getting in touch with the invisible realm when you do disciplines like meditation or qigong or chanting or breath work. All these ancient things that were ancient disciplines, yoga, that were left to humanity for our benefit. Uh, I believe if you enjoy those practices and find good uh, benefits from them, why wouldn't you also want to go to the myths that are talking about those same things? It's like humanity was given this inheritance of these myths. In the same way we were given, you know, different cultures were given yoga or Tai Chi or whatever, they've been preserved. I believe that the ancients were using these, I mean, how did the pyramids, how did the Egyptians do all that? <laughs> I think they were in touch with some, like this knowledge is in there for our for our benefit you can use it for bad things too okay uh there's you know there's shamans that might be doing you know you might go to them in order to gain power over your enemies but in these different things where people like midas are asked hey what do you want you're not really supposed to use them for if wealth is all you're after, like you go to the divine realm, Dionysus comes to you and says, what do you want? And Midas says, I want to be richer. I'm already rich. I want to be richer. Dionysus is like, that's not really what the divine realm is for, but I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> Have at it, Midas. There's another passage where Solomon in the Bible is actually asked the same thing. You know, Solomon is... In the Bible, he's the figure. Samson is the strongest, but Solomon is the what? Richest. Mm, he is actually super wealthy. <laughs> yeah, I thought Solomon was rich. I think he, right. He is. He is wealthy. He's but rich he's known and weak. For being, he's the wisest. Oh, the he's wisest. Actually, okay. the wisest. So I'm gonna up my says, game here. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> that's why you're. So, that's why you're here. But he's actually given the same choice, and he says. 
I would like, I'm the king of this people, countless people depend on me, and yet I feel like I'm like a little child. I don't feel up to the task. Could you please make me wise so that I could help the people? And the Almighty says to him, God says to him, I'm so glad you asked for that. Because you could have asked for wealth, you could have asked for long life, and you could have asked for power over your enemies, but instead you asked for wisdom to help others. So that's the right choice. And by the way, I'm also going to give you long life and wealth and you know some of those other things you didn't ask for, but that was the right choice. So you see this actually, these kind of choices over and over in different myth systems. There's one in ancient Greece, um, a different one that starts the, the Trojan War is started because um, Paris is asked you know, to judge. And he says, well, I want the most beautiful woman in the world. That's what I would like to have. And then she happens to already be married and that's how the whole Trojan War starts. But um, that's in the Iliad. So I believe that the, uh, the purpose is for beneficial purposes, but as the Solomon story shows, you can also use it for power over your enemies. And it could be that some people like to use it for power over their enemies, and they just assume you don't know <laughs> about this system, right? So there could be that there are people who know about certain planetary alignments and they use them to manipulate uh, for not to help the people. But in the Samson story, at least, the right choice was, I mean, the Solomon story, the right choice was you go to these, the other realm is really to help others to gain wisdom, but not just wisdom to get rich <laughs> necessarily. I mean, that comes along too, right? So God says, hey, I'm glad you asked for that. And those things aren't bad, a long life or wealth. Those things aren't bad. I'm also going to give those to you. You didn't ask for those. He doesn't say, I'm glad you didn't ask for a long life because a long life is a bad thing. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say wealth is a bad thing either. But as we saw in the Solomon, I mean, the, the Midas myth, that shouldn't be the primary reason that we're using the the, the wisdom that we find in these myths. Okay, guys, that wraps up part one with David Warner Matheson. Um, I hope that you enjoyed that episode. Check it out on YouTube if you want so you can see the slides and see what he was showing there. Uh, going deep on some really interesting topics. The author of seven books, like he really knows his stuff. Um, really powerful. Part two will be dropping tomorrow. And I uh, just want to thank you guys. If you want to just tweet out, share on Instagram, let me know where you're, where you're watching, where you're, uh, you know, viewing this from. Uh, that's all helpful. Um, check out the Patreon if you want to support there. Just uh, Patreon, Matt Belair. The store, I've got really cool affiliate stuff and products uh, like the Arc Crystal Sync Tuition, you know, and they all pretty much have free samples. They have discount codes. They have all that kind of stuff. So if you're looking for some cool vibrational tech, some healing tech, I'm going to be adding some really cool stuff onto the store very shortly. That's a great way to support. And just sign up for the email list, uh, mattbelair.com. Sign up for the email list and also forward slash lucid 
Dreaming, and you get yourself a free Lucid Dreaming book and guide. So those are all ways that you can support the show, getting the word out there, all that kind of stuff, leaving a review. That's incredible. And I just want to send you love and gratitude for listening. I appreciate you. I am grateful for you uh, sharing this and uh, grateful for all my guests sharing their their time and wisdom. And uh, I'm just going to keep plugging forward with the intention to interview the most conscious, awakened, high vibrational people of service to humanity and just uplifting and inspiring stories and, and seeking out these guests and sharing these perspectives. So just want to blast you love and appreciation. And before we close it out, just invite you to come to a state of coherence. And we're just going to keep this short and sweet so you can see how it is. No, no bells or whistles on this one. Just watch what you can do. So first set the intention to come to a state of peace and coherence. Now taking a deep breath in through your nose, really deep. Hold that breath once you get there. And just imagine this powerful light coming down from the universe and let that breath out slowly with all the cares and worries of the day. Taking another deep breath in through your nose and just imagine empowering life, filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being. Just let that breath out slowly. Now taking one more deep and powerful breath, fully connecting to the stream of breath and energy. Hold that breath. And now just let it out slowly. And there you go. That should have changed your state of mind to feel calm and peace. And whenever you're stressed out or you're stuck in the mind or you're worried, just take in three deep breaths or come back to a feeling of love and gratitude. Just one thing you're grateful for, whether it's your eyesight, uh, your mother or father still being alive, a friend or family member, just something simple, a dog or anything that'll help you feel gratitude. And that's it. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, I love and appreciate all you guys. I'm sending you all of my love through the airways, um, all of my support, my well wishes, my encouragement to go through this life. Um, it can be challenging. And, you know, you know, uh, that's just it's not all rainbows, but just focus on what lights you up, who you really are, um, what you want to bring to the table, healing, you know, yourself coming to self-love and self-worth and uh self-appreciation so uh, i love you very much very dearly and appreciate you and i hope that you have a tremendous day and i'll see you in part two